Hey, hurdlers! You are listening to episode 56 of Hurdle, a podcast that talks to everyone from top CEOs to entrepreneurs and athletes about how they got through tough times, hurdles of sorts, by leaning into wellness. My name is Emily Abadi, and I am feeling good today. It is sunny in New York City. Finally, I'm riding the high from watching the Brooklyn Half Marathon this weekend. Congrats to all of those who ran. And I'm uh, I'm just feeling good. On today's episode, I am chatting with Sianna Elise Earp. She's a yoga instructor that's made a huge name for herself on Instagram. She has more than 1.6 million followers. She also has a highly popular YouTube channel and she's on the Sweat app. Uh, If you've never heard of that before, that's the app that is co-created by other fitness influencer, Kayla Tzinex. Before we get into Sienna's story, quick shout out to my sponsor, Athletic Greens. I'm actually sitting here sipping it right now. I put it in my smoothie this morning. I did a half a frozen banana, Athletic Greens, three ice cubes, some almond milk, and a serving of vegan vanilla protein powder, and it tastes delicious. 10 out of 10 would recommend. And I love throwing it in my smoothie in the morning because it's just an easy way to make sure that I'm getting a full 12 servings of fruits and vegetables. They're offering Hurdle listeners a special deal. You've got to check it out. It's 20 free travel packs, a $79 value with your first purchase. Just head on over to athleticgreens.com slash hurdle. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash hurdle to get yours today. All right, let's talk about Sienna. She grew up in Australia and as a teenager, she had a pretty tough time. From the outside looking in, everything was great. She was from a loving home. She's a beautiful girl. She's super active, but in reality, she was dealing with severe depression caused by what doctors told her was a chemical imbalance. She tells me that literally she had nothing in her life to be upset about, but still had such negative thoughts consuming her. So much so that at age 16, she even attempted suicide. She got the help she needed to deal with the disease and soon leaned into journaling and moving her body to move forward. And that's when she started her Instagram account at Sianna Elise, S-J-A-N-A-E-L-I-S-E, which spread like wildfire, sharing photos of herself, trying different yoga poses in beautiful places. When I met Sianna in Miami at the retreat by Function, which is essentially a fitness, wellness, fashion festival of sorts. They have it in Austin, in Miami, the one that we went to. And also there's one in September in New York. And when I met Sienna there, she was so welcoming right from the get-go. She's one of those people that walks up to you and gives you this huge hug, a kiss on the cheek. Seriously, she's such a positive example for so many people that keep up with her. And I just feel really awesome about today's conversation and about the fact that I get to bring her story to the hurdlers. I would love it this week if you could do me a favor and just share this episode with a friend and make sure also as you are listening, tag at hurdle podcast, tag me at Emily Abadi. Let me know what's resonating with you, what you like, all the things. Emily at hurdle.us. If you want to shoot me an email or have a hurdle moment of your own to share. And I think that's it. With that, let's get to hurdling. Today, I'm sitting here with Sienna Elise Erp. 
<laughs> Don't worry, no one can ever get it. No one can get it. You actually, you actually nailed it. <laughs> nailed. Well, I feel like because most of your followers know you as Sienna Elise, it's yeah. like when I throw your last name into the world, they're like, whoa. Yeah, who's that? Curveball. Yeah. Sienna, what do you do? I am a international yoga teacher. I'm a full-time traveler, fun seeker, frolicker, I suppose. Um, and I kind of just try to live my life in a way that can live by example for other people, especially other women, to to live their best life and to, to learn to love themselves and embrace whatever that means for them. I love this idea of like international yoga teacher. Yeah, well, it just it's like, like international woman of mystery. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> so by your accent, obviously, we are recording this right now in Miami. Both here this weekend for the retreat by function. We've had a nice bit of fun. A lot of fun and a lot of sweat. But now we're here to record a pod. And I'm super excited that we were able to connect while we're here this weekend. Uh, But you're not from Miami. You're not from the States. No. Uh, You're from quite far from here. Yeah, I'm from Australia. The land down under. The land down under. The land of Vegemite. (laughs) Oh, my God. I don't think I've actually ever had it. I mean, it depends on... Your taste buds. Some people really like it and other people hate it. Yeah. Like, I like it, but I'm also celiac, so I'm not allowed to eat Vegemite, so I have to have, like, the gluten-free version. Yeah. Um, Which is, it's the same kind of taste, just a little bit different. But with avocado, it's bomb. Like, bomb. Bomb. <laughs> bomb diggity. All right, so I want to rewind back, as we as we usually do here on Hurdle, and kind of get into your backstory, and uh, I want to know a little bit about how you grew up. So were you always super active? Yeah, definitely. Um, my whole family was. We we just grew up with it in our blood. Like both of my parents were super active when they were younger as well. And then we just, we didn't know any different. Like we did like probably, I don't even know, five hours of sport a day. Um, different stuff like team sports as well as individual sports. And we just frothed it. Like that's just, we, we loved moving our bodies and we had so much energy that that was the only way that we could actually sleep at night. You what know? kind of sports were you doing? Um, swimming, netball, gymnastics, surf life saving, aerobics. I tried tennis for a while, soccer for a while. Um, yeah, like everything that you can think of under the sun pretty much. <laughs> and if I wasn't doing one of those, I'd be like running around the house, like bouncing a tennis ball on a tennis racket while seeing how many steps I could do on my left leg or something like that. Like really random stuff. And how many siblings do you have? Two older brothers. I'm okay. The, I'm the little baby. How was that? It was, I mean, it's good. I'm really thankful. They're super protective and have been my whole life, but in like a, a fun Aussie way. So like, you know that you're close to someone when you live in Australia because you can like pull fun at them. So like the more banter you have, the better. So my brothers and I would just like, we would like fight, but in like a funny way kind of thing. Um, and, but they were the only ones who could do it. Like if anyone else was to, to like, like shut me down or like insult me it was like no like you don't say that to her but like, would. <laughs> that's a special thing about having a brother yeah, or two yeah. right like yeah. I have a brother and I feel like if that was to happen to me it's the same yeah he's also about to be an FBI agent oh. so I know oh. also, are you a man allowed on to say that I don't know I might be not okay I think it's fine I think Just it's don't probably, say his name I won't say I know not like anybody but knows his Instagram who I am. is <laughs> <laughs> exactly okay so uh growing up in Australia mm-hmm. how was that I mean you were obviously super active but enjoyable time super active and always outdoors like that's the best thing about being from Australia is that it's such a a beautiful place and like we're so blessed to have grown up there but it's super safe everywhere that you go um and yeah like we just grew up at the beach we we grew up our house is really close to the beach as well so we're really lucky that way so that was pretty much our backyard um and then if we weren't like at the beach with our friends or something and out surfing or just like 
exploring rock pools or whatnot, we'd be doing the same thing like in trees or the bush or a park or like down at the park, like playing netball or basketball or something with our mates. Or Yeah. And obviously you still live there now. So I feel as though like we were talking with Kirsty earlier and she's like a diehard staying in America, not going back kind of situation. Like, do you feel the same way about Australia? Um, I do in the summer. So I just, I just love the warmth. Like I love, I hate the cold. I'm a different person when I'm cold and I I don't like it. I just sit in the shower and like want to cry. I think maybe eventually I'll probably end up half the year in Hawaii, probably Kauai and the other half of the year in Australia. It's not a bad place to be. 365 days of summer. (laughs) All the time. Yeah. Okay. So super active growing up. Uh, you listed a ton of different things that you were into. Did you play sports in high school or how did that work for you? Yeah. I, I kept doing sports up until I was probably 16. Mm-hmm. Um, by the age of 16, I'd pretty much quit everything. I went through bad depression at 15 and like on top of kind of going out of everything that I used to do, I I didn't have the motivation, the drive, the energy, any, like you don't have much when you're, you're really depressed. And so I kind of just dropped everything by that stage. Okay. So 15, really depressed. Was there anything going on in your personal life or at home that made you really get into that? Small things. Um, like I was getting bullied by like my best friends and stuff like that. But in retrospect, that wasn't what caused it. Like, I think that was probably tolerable if it was on its own, but the fact that I had a chemical imbalance, like an underlying cellular kind of thing that was, um, going on was the real cause of it because everything else in my life was perfect. Yeah. Best family, education, living situation, like always was safe, comfortable, um, was smart. I had a lot of friends, like very well supported. And it was just that I I had everything that I could ever want and I still felt like I had nothing to live for was what made it worse. How did you find out that you had a chemical imbalance? Because I feel like, I mean, obviously with something like seasonal depression disorder, people can peg it to something like even if everything's going well but you're feeling super just not yourself it's like well it's gray and cold and disgusting outside but you're living in this beautiful beautiful place and you're still feeling this way yeah well it's I guess it's kind of the same thing like you can understand that nothing in your life's going on wrong um and so like it, that wasn't self-diagnosed it was diagnosed through doctors my mom's also a psychologist so she was well onto it like even before I realized that I was depressed Um, so she picked up kind of signs and symptoms here and there, and then she kind of made sure that I got the help that I needed. And what did that look like in your day to day? What did what look like? Like being depressed. Oh, it's, I mean, it's doesn't look different necessarily to anyone else because I didn't want people to know. So I really tried to hide it. Mm. So to a lot of people, I guess I would still appear happy. Um, but then at night, like as soon as school was finished or whatever, I would just go home and, and even at school, like I wouldn't be able to interact the same way with my friends that I used to, cause you just don't have the energy and you just don't care. You analyze things a lot, like from a, like a different perspective, you can kind of sit back and be like, why are you all doing that? Like what's, you just kind of think, what's the point? Mm-hmm. Like you're not even going to be here in however many years time. Like, why do you even care what anyone thinks or anything? So right. it's, it's a big, it's a big contrast. But at the same time, it was subtle. So a lot of the people around me didn't know um, mm-hmm. until I began shutting them out when it got really bad. I just, I shut down completely. I wouldn't even like leave my room. I wouldn't answer the door. I wouldn't answer my phone. I just slept. Like sleeping was what I used as a tool for, I guess, avoidance. It was my avoidance technique. Um, and that's honestly how I got through just every day. Like getting out of bed was the hardest thing in the whole world. Like literally just getting out of bed to go and pee or to go and like brush your teeth. 
felt impossible. Mm-hmm. Like showering was like, that's never going to happen. Right. And your mom being a psychologist, was she, uh, she was obviously, I mean, you were talking to her about this, which I think is probably something that can be hard, whether it's your parents or a friend to even open up about the fact that you're feeling this way. Well, I didn't actually open up to her. She, she knew. And so she was actually sleeping outside of my bedroom every night for like four months on a beanbag, which I had no idea about. Um, for the four months up until I, I had a suicide attempt. Um, and it was the one night that she didn't, where she was just exhausted. She'd been doing it for like months. And my dad was like, dude, just come to bed. Like you need some sleep. Um, and it was that night that I decided to just sneak out and do something. So, yeah. Yeah. Was she staying outside of your room? Cause she was scared that you were going to do that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. How I can't even imagine the inner dialogue that she had after that. Evening. I know she like, and that's the worst part. Like, I I had no idea that she was sleeping outside my room, and I wish I had because, like, my mom is the best mom in the whole world. She's so caring of all of us kids; it's ridiculous. Um, but at the time, I didn't want to be cared for. I I didn't felt like I deserved it, and I just I wanted to be left alone, and I wanted people. I think that's why I created the distance as well between my friends and even my family. I pushed everyone close to me away because I knew that they would care most if I wasn't here. Um, and so I, I guess I kind of wanted to to ease their pain for them. And it doesn't sound rational now um, or to anyone healthy in a healthy mindset, but at the time that seemed like it would it would make it easier for them if I wasn't here, for them to, to not be as close to me. Definitely. And I mean, we won't get into the particulars of that night, but after uh, that incident, mm-hmm. like how does one even move forward? It took a long time. So obviously mum was like adamant that I was going to get help um and she was like made sure that I got all the help that I needed but that meant for me that I was I saw about 20 different psychologists like so many different people and trying to find someone who I could resonate with um but the only problem is with depression you're not going to the only way that someone's going to be able to heal is if they want to help themselves and I wasn't at the the stage where I wanted to help myself so like everyone that I met every psychologist or psychics like psychiatrist I was like no that is not right which was just my excuse for I'm not I don't want to heal like I was comfortable where I was it was safe and it wasn't physically safe um but it was it felt like a a place that I knew and I could hide Mm -hmm. yeah which is the worst part of depression I think that it becomes something familiar and did you find finally someone that you felt like you clicked with yes and no I ended up in a um long-term kind of um psychiatric ward in Sydney uh, so I was there for a, a couple of weeks or a month or two. I'm not really too sure. It was so long ago and I've kind of blocked out most of the memories, to be honest. But um, I remember waking up one day and just thinking, like, I don't want to be like this. Like, seeing all the people around me as well, I wasn't even – like, there was a lot of different people there for different reasons. Like, bipolar and different levels of the facility had different, um, I guess, inpatients. So, like, one level was, like, eating disorders and then, like, one level was mental health and – Um, yeah. And so I guess everyone around me was just, it was very eye opening that it wasn't what I wanted to be like for the rest of my life. And I wanted to remember what it felt like to be happy and to be able to smile genuinely. Like I hadn't laughed in years. Yeah. And so I just, I wanted to be able to feel that again. And that's, I mean, that's the moment where you realize like that you truly want to be better. Yeah. You're like, you're saying that first step toward recovery. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And so it wasn't instant, definitely not instant. And it took a lot of work, but as soon as I set my mind to something, 
I can do it. And I think that like holds true for a lot of different goals, right? It's like when I was really overweight, I knew for months and months and years even that I was like needed to make a change. But one day it finally like the switch clicked and yeah, it was like, literally like I, a can't, I can't live like this anymore. Yeah. And you just have that moment and you're like, okay, like it's time to change the dialogue. It's time to make a change. And it's always the hardest things, but the most rewarding. Like, was that your hurdle? Yeah. Yeah. Hurdlers know it well. If you need to listen to my hurdle again, you can tune into episode one. <laughs> Shameless plug. Yeah. <laughs> Shameless plug for my own podcast. Okay. So you make this with the switch. Okay. So the switch flips in your head mm-hmm. and you know, you want to get better. Yeah. And so does that happen at the treatment facility or do you get out or what happens here? Yeah. I was at the tra- treatment facility and that took, it took another while to get through it because the whole time that I'd been in any kind of psychiatric facility I'd been convincing them pretty well as well like I'm I'm pretty a pretty convincing person um (laughs) that I was okay and so my mum would have to like go in and talk to them be like she's not okay like she does this to everyone she convinces you that she's fine and then she goes and like hurts herself again like it's not it's not Mm -hmm. okay yeah um but yeah it was once I managed to get out um mum obviously had like an eagle eye on me yeah. She still does. Even though I'm totally fine. That's just a mother's way, I think. <laughs> I'm her baby bird. Um, and after you get out of the treatment facility, do you go back home? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Once once you like they say that you're healthy enough, like right. mentally healthy enough. Right. And you had left school. So what happens now? Like, do you have any interest in going back to school or what are your goals at this point? I'd left I'd been away from school in the inpatient state for too long to be able to finish that year of school. So I would either have to repeat that year of school and then be like the eldest one there um or I, I didn't really know what my options were and I wasn't in the right state to be able to figure out what my options were so thankfully that's where family and support came in and they figured out that I could do um an alternate entry test into university so I ended up getting accepted into our local university in Newcastle and I uh, went there at 16 did a year and a half studying just random subjects under a Bachelor of Arts. So, like, I studied German. I failed that hardcore. <laughs> uh, I'm not good at languages. And, like, photography. I studied marine biology for a while and then realized that I, I'm really bad at science. Um, <laughs> I just wanted to work with dolphins. and <laughs> Yeah, and so I ended up oh, – and psychology, actually, was surprisingly so interesting. Like, I always thought that I wouldn't do that because my mom does it, but it was – like even now, if I was to ever go back to, to uni, I would study psych just because it's it's so relevant to everyone. Yeah. And it's fascinating. Totally. So, yeah. And then I found that I like photography and then I kind of used up all the resources at Newcastle University for photography. And so I decided to move interstate up to Queensland and go and study photojournalism up at a university up there. Okay. Yeah. And that's kind of how I got into doing what I do now as well. So let's talk a little bit about what you do now. I travel a lot. Uh, I teach yoga, I take photos, and a lot of people assume that most of the photos on my Instagram are, like, taken by a photographer, but unless they stayed otherwise, they're all just taken, like, self-timed on, like, a phone. Yeah. Maybe not even my DSLR. (laughs) I feel like we should uh, tell the audience that you have a pretty significant Instagram following. (laughs) <laughs> well, I mean, like, I feel like sometimes people are like, if people assume that things on my Instagram, I'm like, yeah, I say the same sentence and I have like no followers. <laughs> you, on the other hand, have quite a bit of followers. Where are we at now? I think it's 1.6 million. Was there a point in your like Instagram journey, so to speak, that like it just went from like zero to a hundred? Did you feel? I guess so. Back when the, you know how like now we've got the explore page. Yeah. Do you remember when it was the popular page? Yeah. That used to be like a game. So you used to be able to get like 10,000 followers a day. 
on when there was a popular page because it like worked on an algorithm like a formula thing and if you knew how to work with that algorithm it just like it was like a game that you could play yeah um and I loved playing it it was really fun and <laughs> I think that's when I had a more unhealthy approach to social media actually but I like I remember getting to 10,000 and thinking that was ridiculous like it is ridiculous right, where I'm like, at, right? I don't know yeah. 10,000 people like <laughs> no. uh, like imagine having 10,000 people in your house like that doesn't work <laughs> I don't know what I house we're living in. I have a tiny little one bedroom apartment. Have, like hit up Drake and be like, we need some room. I don't even think we could fit 20 people in my, in my apartment, <laughs> like shoulder to shoulder. Um, it's like the size of this hotel room. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and I remember my mom was up staying with me in Queensland at the time. And she, um, she was saying to me like, like having a little giggle. She was like, maybe one day you'll even get to a hundred thousand. And I was like, don't be stupid. Like that's just, no, don't be, no, it's yeah. not going to happen. And then, yeah. It just blew up. Yeah, but the number thing doesn't, it's like it literally is just a number now. And I don't do it because I have so many followers. I do it because, one, it's therapeutic, it's cathartic, and it's healing, it's expression, it's art. Um, And, two, it's, it's like if I can help literally just one other person, I would be doing it. So whether yeah. I have one follower, 16 followers or 1.6 million, I'm mm-hmm. I'm doing it regardless. Do you talk openly often or at all about like your past history with mental health struggles? Yeah, yeah. 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 No, I've I've realized from experience that talking about it is firstly so healing to your own soul, but secondly it, so many people relate. It's like one in four people in Australia at least, I'm not sure what the stats are in America, suffer from mental health of some sort. Mm-hmm. Um and so whether it's you personally or you know of someone, everyone can relate in some way shape or form. Right. And I mean it's a public health problem here for sure and yeah. it's interesting like I know in England they have government officials specifically that deal with mental health. Yeah. which is just so important and I think it's a uh, especially it's come to that, but it's so necessary. I think especially in like this age of social media where like more and more children these days are actually like not as interested in like living the life that you lived when you were growing up and yeah, being like outside. Outside getting dirty, not wearing shoes, forgetting where your pants are. I mean, like. because they feel like they're getting their socialization behind a screen. Well, and so just, the, all the mental health. parents do now. If yeah. their kid's being noisy, they just put like a screen in front of them and expect them to be quiet. Right, right. You I know. You see it in airports and restaurants all the time. Like, yeah. Oh my God, you walk into the terminal at LaGuardia and like every seat has an iPad in front of it. And it's like, oh, so you're not supposed to talk to anybody anymore. Yeah. <laughs> you're back home and you're starting to discover that you have an interest in yoga. Mm-hmm. Okay, so talk to me about the beginning of your interest in yoga. Um, it started from, I guess, my history with sport when I was little. So one of the sports that I did was gymnastics. And then once I quit gymnastics, I think I was probably 12-ish when I quit gym. I went straight to do American style cheerleading, which was really new in Australia and it was a really fun thing. So it was just like a really like team social thing. Yeah. And then I, I quit that when I was 18, when I moved up to Queensland uh, to go to uni up there. And then I wasn't doing anything. And so I, I just missed moving my body. Like I missed, I don't know, the, the, the flexibility. This I've always had a really big, I don't know, like soul attachment to body movement like it's it's been something so healing for me that I I only realized how healing it was when I wasn't doing it Mm -hmm. so once I realized that I wanted to to heal myself from depression I I figured that that was probably the first step like Mm -hmm. starting to have some kind of routine um especially movement so I'd get up every morning and I go for a run um again living coastal on the beach it was beautiful around burly heads and stuff it was just divine so it was hard I'm not actually a morning person as in I love, I always get up early if I can, 
but it doesn't come naturally. Like I have to set so many alarms. Yeah. And in Queensland, the sun rises really early. It's like an hour earlier than everywhere else. So in summer, it would be bright at like 4.30 a.m. Yeah. And so I'd be like up and running. But is that like if you had to offer someone who also would say that they're not a morning person, like some sort of takeaway on how to become one, like what would you offer them as a piece of advice? So many people ask this. Okay. If you want to become a morning person, don't worry about your morning. Get to bed early the night before. That's where it starts. Like you can't expect to go to bed at midnight or 1am and then wake up at five. Right. Like, unless you're one of those crazy people, I don't know how you do it. I don't if know If you're how one of those people, it. well done, you need a gold star. But if you can function <laughs> on like four hours sleep, then good for you. Yeah, I, but like I, how I healthy is that? Well, I mean, everyone needs different amounts of sleep. So yeah. for some people, that's fine. For me, it's definitely not. Like yeah. I need like eight minimum, probably like nine nine hours yeah every night yeah um so i get to bed really early like i'm in bed most nights by eight nine o'clock latest mm-hmm. and then asleep by like nine thirty, ten o'clock at the absolute latest like if i'm awake at 10 i'm like whoa big night like big night. i'm gonna need to get to bed at six tomorrow night <laughs> yeah totally no i can totally relate with yeah that. and so that that's the only way that you can get up early yeah okay so you're getting up early you're moving your body mm-hmm. And then I would, I, that's when social media kind of started. So I had a personal Instagram. It wasn't anything at the time. And uh, I would find photos of yoga poses. And because of my history with gymnastics, I was like, I wonder whether I can do that. So I would try it. And then because I was studying photojournalism, I'd get up even earlier and go to a private beach um, and take photos of said pose mm-hmm. in the sunrise at the beach. Um, and then those just kind of took off. So that's kind of where social media started as well. And yeah, I just kind of became known as the girl who was doing handstands or yoga at the beach really early at sunrise, like beautiful places. And then on like cliff edges and stuff, not like crazy cliff edges, like I'm still safe. <laughs> don't do that. I definitely don't suggest that anyone does that. That's how social media, I suppose, started. And then I got offered to go and take photos for like a fitness retreat in Bali. And then once people saw me on that, they were like, hey, come to Perth and do one with us. And so I, I went to Perth and took photos for this other event and then yeah, just like resorts, airlines, travel tourism boards, anywhere. Like people would just, brands would contact you and say, hey, do you want to come here? And of course I was young and I was like, yes, I would love to. Yeah. So they don't often pay, but um, a lot of the time they're paid for. Right. And so being young, I'm like, of course I'm going to take that opportunity to travel. Right. And so a few follow-up questions. Was there anyone specific that you were following that you were like, wow, I want to be just like them? No. Again, it was the the Explore page. Yeah. Um, I've never looked at anyone in particular, I don't think, and wanted to be them, mm-hmm. uh, mainly because we had a really good upbringing in the way that I know that our individuality is to be embraced. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've never thought of it as a realistic thing to, to try to be like anyone else. Like, right just be you and be the best version of yourself. Like that's what mum always instilled in us. And so, yeah. So you just wanted to be, you're, you were creating your own method to the madness. Exactly. Exactly. And I mean, I guess the second follow-up question to that is at the time when you're, uh, you know, accepting all of these opportunities to kind of travel the world, like, did you have any insight into what was becoming, I guess, like the business of Instagram? Because you said you were taking this, like these, just these free trips. Yeah. Absolutely no idea. I don't think anyone back then knew. Like the OG Instagram influencers, like we 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 didn't know that it could be a career. I remember, like my, I have the most supportive family ever. Like I was really close with my middle brother as well and my mom and, and they both said to me, they were like, you can't do this as a job. Like it doesn't pay. Like stop putting some, I was getting really stressed because I was working like 40 to 60 hours a week at, at a restaurant job as well as doing um, full-time uni. And then I was trying to get all these photos all the time and 
my like I was really like stressed calling home to mum being like I can't do it I'm so overwhelmed and she was like just take a step back like you don't need to take these photos like it's not a, it's not your job you're not getting paid to do it like don't right. worry about it and I was like yeah but like I I don't know I, I really loved it and I had this intuition kind of feeling that was like no like I, I should do this I need to do this whether it was just an artistic thing or whether I was just stubborn I don't know I'm very stubborn with Scorpio. Taking a break from today's episode to give my sponsor, Athletic Greens, some love. Now, I've mentioned here before that the powder has adaptogens in it, and I actually got a couple questions about that this week. So essentially, adaptogens are this class of amazing herbs that responds to different influences like stress, whether that's physical, chemical, or biological. And adaptogens can aid in a few things like normalizing sleep patterns and lowering everyday physical and mental fatigue, which is something I can surely use a hand in as I'm constantly doing everything. (laughs) A friend of mine the other day asked me, do you ever just do nothing? The answer is yes, sometimes I do nothing. But when that's not an option, which doesn't feel often, drinking athletic greens first thing in the morning helps me stay on my toes and stay alert and just feel better. They are offering Hurdle listeners a special deal. You've got to take advantage of this. It is 20 free travel packs, a $79 value with your first purchase. Just head on over to athleticgreens.com slash hurdle. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash hurdle to get your special deal today. Let's get back to it. So do you remember the first time that a brand was like, we'd like to pay you actual money to work with us? It wasn't a brand. I actually got contacted by an agent, a modeling agency in Brisbane, which is near the Gold Coast where I lived. And they were like, hey, come in. And I was like, oh, okay, sure. Like, yeah. I hadn't really thought about it. Went in and um, yeah, they were like, oh, like you do know that you can get be getting paid for these posts. And I was like, what? I was like, how much are you going to pay me? And they're like, well, we don't pay you. Like we would actually get a commission and then like brands would pay us and then we'd pay you and I was like that sounds kind of cool and that was kind of how I realized that it it was lucrative and it did have potential and then yeah I guess that was also back in the day when everyone was like Instagram's temporary do you know what I mean everyone thought it was just going to be like the next MySpace and then it would kind of disintegrate oh my god MySpace yep yep back in the day throwback okay so you start understanding that there's money in this Mm -hmm. uh at the same time doing all of these yoga poses, are you teaching classes? Like, how is this going down? Or is it just really for the moment at the time, just for the gram? I had no idea what yoga was. I thought I did because I could do a couple of the poses. And then it kind of got out of control where I had, I almost had imposter syndrome. Um, I think that's an actual term, like a psychological yeah. term, where you feel like someone's going to pull you up and be like, you don't actually know this. Like, who are you to, to tell other people what to do? And it wasn't that I was telling other people what to do. It was just that there was such a assumption around the fact that I knew yoga and that I was I think I'm maybe the second followed yogi on Instagram mm-hmm. um who's the first I think it's yoga girl mm. and yeah and I just I, I had no idea what actual yoga was I could do an individual pose not even many of them just a couple of them and handstands and so people just assumed I knew what I was doing and I was like okay I'm gonna go learn something so I went and did my teacher training for yoga did a 200 hour teacher training in Byron Bay beautiful place to do it it's I I love Australia and especially Byron 
And so I was there for three weeks, I think it was, um, and got, yeah, 200 hours certified and then began teaching classes just at my local yoga loft, which has now become like my second home. Like it's, it's such a family there. It's so community based. It's beautiful. And, and then over the last year and a half, two years, um, teaching retreats yeah as well yeah so I only taught like one and then I had like a, a year of gap um and I loved it I just didn't I wasn't as motivated back then and then I think the business side of stuff is starting to creep up on me now where I'm like I actually want to do that like I want a business baby right and did you when you taught your first retreat was that in collaboration with anyone specific or were you kind of the one that was cultivating the entire experience no it was I get contacted by a lot of hotels and resorts um to do yoga retreats and it was a beautiful resort in Sumba. Uh, it's called Nihawatu. Where is that? It's in Indonesia. So <laughs> it's it's close to Bali, but it's on its own island and it's just like untouched. It's got its own surf break. It's the number one hotel in a row, two years in a row. Like when I did the retreats, I was like, how can I not? <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so I went and did that. It was, it's a very expensive place, obviously like the number one resort. So it was a really intimate um, kind of retreat, Yeah. but I got a taste for it and I really liked it. And so now I think I want to do at least like a, like a couple, maybe three or four retreats every year from now on. That's awesome. Yeah. And I'm doing one in September, I think it is, in um, Greece. And like that booked out so quick, it wasn't funny. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. I mean, it means that there's a thirst for what you're putting down. Yeah. I think also, I mean, a lot of people ask all the time, like you see these people doing these crazy yoga poses on Instagram or IRL. And the thing about it is that when you start doing handstands and stuff, like it takes a lot of crazy strength to be able to do that. So is this just like legacy strength that you had as an athlete? Handstands? Yes. Yeah. Um, I don't remember this, but mom said that as a kid, I would just like walk around the grocery center on like on my hands and she would just be like, can you just walk on your feet like a normal person, please? Like, are all these other kids on their hands? No. And I was like, well, they will be if they see me doing it. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then the, the flexibility stuff, definitely not. Like that's, I could do the splits on one leg on a good day, maybe, but a lot of flexibility has been learned over the past couple of years. When you uh, work with new students, when you practice, do you find that they're kind of asking you the same questions over and over, like from a beginner point of view? A lot of people say that the first thing that you get is like the first comment that you hear is often the most heard comment as well. It's I'm not flexible, therefore I can't do yoga. And that's so, it's so counter like intuitive. It's like, well, if you can't, if you think that you're not flexible to do yoga, you have to do yoga to get flexible. Like, right. And that's not, that's not the point of yoga at all. And that's what I'll tell them. It's, it's not about how far down you can reach to the ground. It's not how deep you can go into a stretch. It's what you feel and what you learn along the way. And it's literally just about connecting to your breath, to your body, and then surrendering to something bigger than yourself. And it's so humbling and grounding. I know when I was teaching spin, thinking about things that you're telling your students, I had like a set of like five to 10 inspirational mantras or like maybe a story or something that I would like return back to time and time again. Do you have like those set of things that like you kind of come back to or is it always just like new stuff all the time? Um, I'm not sure. I think you'd have to be a regular in one of my classes to tell me. I think I, I keep it very lighthearted. Like I want my classes to be fun and interactive and I want no one to take it so seriously. I think a lot of the time yoga, especially everyone kind of rocks up with their game face on their, like in their own mind, they're on their mat. And then they kind of, I don't know, there's almost like an ego, um, attachment to 
to westernize yoga and I want it to be lighthearted and fun. I want people to be able to laugh at themselves and have a little giggle and connect with other people around them. So a lot of the time when they get on their mat, I'll be like, turn to your neighbor, say hi, tell them your favorite color, give them a hug, give them a squeeze. Like even after class when everyone's sweaty, I'm like, there's only one way to make friends, guys. Hug, hug your sweaty neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> Just get it done. Yeah. I do love what you said yesterday um, asking us in class. You said, is your mind full or are you being mindful? Mm, yeah. I think a lot of the time I personally definitely head to my yoga mat because my mind is full mm-hmm. and it's hard to flip that switch. And I don't necessarily always think there's like a time where you consciously are like, all right, I'm ready to be mindful. I think it's just the act of it that kind of makes you able to let go. Yeah. And it's about training your mind too. So now every time I head to my mat, like you get into a a different state of mind. Like I get onto my mat and I breathe and I'm like, like, that's what it means to take a breath. That's what it feels like. This whole morning, I've just been chest breathing. And then I get onto my mat and I breathe from my belly and throughout my whole limbs and body. And that's, that's the beautiful part, I think. How do you unwind? Is it always through yoga? Definitely yoga. Um, but other ways too. I mean, like, my partner is really good. I oh, American. Every time I say partner, it must be Australian thing. Every time I say partner, I mean boyfriend. But <laughs> but like I don't know why. Like to us, that's normal. And then someone the other day was like, "Oh, I thought that meant that you might have been like bi or a lesbian uh-huh. or like maybe you're talking about a business partner." So I apologize. I mean boyfriend. My, I think I think there's a lot of different interpretations to that. Yeah, I yeah. recognize it. And there's nothing wrong with any of them. Yeah, but yeah, I, I mean my boyfriend. Okay, um, so your boyfriend. Yeah, he's very good at reading my energy, and he knows when I need to wind down a little bit. So he'll come and like give me a foot rub or a massage or something like that, and that's always really nice. Or he'll read me a book and. Um, or we listen to podcasts a lot, um, audiobooks, go for walks in nature. That's probably the biggest grounder, like maybe even more so than yoga, actually, because if I can do yoga in nature, that's even better. Like just not even having a mat, like just going to the beach um, or even just on grass and just taking your shoes off, earthing, which means literally connecting your energy, your feet with the earth and allowing your energy to transfer with with Mama Earth's. Um, and, and that's the other thing. People think that because I do yoga and I'm, I'm a yoga instructor that I, I must be super zen. And I'm like, hell no. Like I do yoga because without it, I am crazy. That's how I feel about running. Like, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, that's, I, I do running as well. Um, my runs are more so walks and then I run down the hills because it makes, it makes me feel really fast. <laughs> <laughs> You're, that's fine. It's, but, your, it's your practice. It's your practice. But just, yeah, every morning getting out and getting some sunshine or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Did you feel, we were talking about this yesterday a little bit about this idea of mindfulness that when you became a certified yoga teacher, did you feel that suddenly you were more open to being mindful because you had a better understanding of what that really meant? Because I think, and hand in hand with mindfulness is meditation. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people have a hard time getting into meditation. So I'm just wondering for you with your journey with being mindful, maybe integrating more meditation into your regular practice, was there a time that it kind of felt more natural to you than others? Meditation is, it's a process. Um, the There's like eight limbs of yoga. Meditation is one of them. The asana, the physical practice is another one of them. And that's another misconception. People think that yoga is just what you do on your mat, but it's actually it's not like it's so much it's a whole lifestyle um meditation is included in that and for a while I was even once I learned more about yoga I was just more heavy on the physical practice and that to me was a meditation um it was something that I could get my mind 
out of my own mind, if that makes any sense. And I, yeah, like it was very centering as well. But meditation has recently become something that I've grown to love more and more. Um, And again, like there's no right or wrong with it. Like that's what every meditation practitioner says. Like there's no, don't complain about not being able to do it. Just close your eyes, breathe. And no matter what comes up, that's not wrong. Like you did it. That was completely successful. It's 100% exactly what you were supposed to do and feel. And then the more you do it, the more that you'll grow and learn from yourself. So I guess don't give yourself expectations about what it should look like. It doesn't need to be sitting cross-legged on the ground in like lotus position, hands on the knees, making a mudra, eyes closed, hands at heart, hand, hands above your head, like headlong in the wind, on the like in the breeze, on the sand, at the beach. It, can, it <laughs> honestly can be whatever it means for you. And for a lot of people, I think the misconception is believing that it needs to look like that, whereas the easiest way to, to kind of ease into meditation is to do your version of meditation. So the things that you can leave your body and your mind for a little while. So for a lot of people, that's creativity or art. For other people, it's sport and exercise, going for a run or a walk. Um, sometimes it is just laying down for 10 minutes before bed and just not using your phone. Do you know what I mean? Like just laying there and just listening to your breath. Right. And then, yeah, I guess just enjoy it and trust the process. Yeah. I love that. I love that piece of advice. I I was thinking as you were talking about like how it could feel or how it should look. Do you feel as though because you are open to such a wide audience that you have like a certain amount of pressure to be or do or whatever a certain way? Not at all. Yeah. No. I think maybe like years ago when I had a more unhealthy approach to social media, maybe. But now I'm I like I'm I feel like anyway, I'm just who I am. Like yeah. I don't care what people think of me. It sounds cliche or cheesy or whatever but like you do you boo and that's what I do yeah but how did you shift that dialogue because I'm sure no matter if you have like 10 followers or if you have millions of followers I think that in this age of social media and constant feedback and pressure that it's it's hard to change that you're never going to be able to please everyone like never ever um and so I think the most important it's not even about pleasing yourself it's literally just about knowing your values understanding who you are And then just living by that. And then if you do that, you won't have any like guilt, shame, embarrassment, regret. You'll be a completely open book. You have nothing to hide and more open to sharing with everyone else. And so I'm just, I don't know. I I think also your vibe attracts your tribe is something like it's a quote that I heard ages ago. And I I guess I live by it unintentionally. It's it's more just like I'll put out the energy in the universe that I I am that I want to give out and I will attract other people with the same frequency. So I, I don't think I've met anyone in the past, like since high school that I haven't gotten along with, or I haven't enjoyed being around them. And I think that's just because I'm, I'm open to everything and everyone, and I'm not judging them for who they are or who they aren't. And so I assume that they're not doing the same to me. And if they are, that's not the kind of person that I want to be around and it's probably not the kind of person that I'm going to attract. To be specific, was there an instance in your life, because you did reference that there was like a pivot point for you with social media, was there a certain uh, thing that happened that kind of made you shift the way that you view that platform? And that platform, I mean, Instagram. Yeah, well, social media in general, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I just, I became really addicted to it. Yeah. Um, This is probably 2013, 2014. And I couldn't even have a shower without taking my phone in with me because I was obsessed with the, like the comments and creating a a safe place. Um, 
for anyone who knows me or has ever seen me on Instagram, I'm, I'm quite a, a slender person. I'm very skinny. Um, I'm very, I'm also fit. Like I, I love my body wholeheartedly and not because it's skinny, just because it's a body. Like I have legs that allow me to move. I have arms that allow me to hug. I have a big ass heart and not a big ass, but my body just allows me to, to live and to, to love other people. And that's what I love about my body. Um, and that's what I think everyone should, should view their body as. It's just a vessel that allows them to, to be, to exist. So even though I am much, like I'm very slim, I, I used to get, well, sorry, because I'm very slim, I used to get a lot of negativity um, from keyboard warriors on the fact that I'm skinny. Um, and so people would say like, too skinny, like you look anorexic, like just a bunch of bones, like it's disgusting, um, which it sucks that people feel like they have the right to tell you that your body is right or wrong, um, regardless of what your size is. So like if you were bigger, you would obviously get hate as well, which like the fact that that's obvious sucks, doesn't yeah. it? Like no one's safe. Um, but I would be preaching messages of self-love and like loving your body and who you are and accepting yourself for whatever that looks like and whatever you look like. And people would say like, you're only saying that because you're skinny. And it's not because I'm skinny. It's because I've, I've literally just learned to in- accept that this is who I am. And I, I know that I'm doing the best thing for my body and that I'm, I'm healthy. I'm living in a way that is right for me. And so it didn't really matter what anyone else did and, or said and, or thought. And so I think I just, I think that mentality, like the, the realization of that, I then kind of just shifted my mindset and then I don't know whether it was energetically. I know that for some people that's so hippy-dippy, but I think I literally just kind of shifted my followers as well, as in I don't get much negativity anymore, um, if any. And if I do, it definitely doesn't bother me because I know that I'm living my truth and I'm, I'm healthy in myself. And if I do get negativity, whether it's like aimed at me or anyone else, I'll just instantly block the person, delete the comment. But it never really happens anymore. How do you even monitor that many people following you? Well, you don't like you don't get thousands and thousands and thousands of comments on every photo. Right. Like, right. Yeah. So it's it's pretty doable. I actually read all my comments. Yeah. So if you ever follow me and you leave me a comment, I'll re- I'll read it and I'll probably give you a little love heart. A little love heart. <laughs> a little heart. Okay. So shift the dialogue, better interaction with social media. You are traveling the world, you're doing yoga retreats. Mm-hmm. What else does life look like for you right now? It's, I guess I'm in a transitional phase um, where I am realizing that I do need to, or I want to invest more time into building a brand um, from a creative perspective. I think I've kind of just kind of dug along and I've always trusted the universe almost, not too much, but like definitely a lot. So like my mom would always be like, well, what are you going to do? Like, w- w- like you've just quit your job, like at the restaurant, like, what are you going to do? And I was like, oh, it'll be fine. Like I trust the universe or whatever. And she was like, that's not how it works. And I'm like, but it does. Like I'm, I'm fine. And I know that I'll be fine. I've always just had this deep intuition, in- intuitive feeling that it'll be okay. Mama, that's got it. So I don't know. <laughs> like to, to most people that sounds really like hippie, but to me, it just kind of, it feels right. Yeah. Um, and so, I, yeah, now I'm at the point where I'm like, I still trust her, but I want to, I want to put more energy into actually 
making and manifesting things. So yeah. um, I've got a bunch of different things over the next couple of years that I want to work on. Um, and now you work with like a management company. Oh, yeah. No, I've worked with managers for years. Yeah. Since like 2014, probably. So. What was that like at first, like even onboarding that kind of experience? Like, was it surreal to be like, wow, I'm at the place where I think that I need to work with someone to help me manage all of this? No, because I didn't think I was at that place. Um, it was more just like they offered. And I was like, okay. Yeah. Sure. Why yeah. not? Like, I'll, I'm down for it. Yeah. I just kind of go with the breeze a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm a really fine balance between go with the flow and loving structure. Like, I, I, it doesn't make any sense to me. When I'm home, I love my structure. And then when I'm on holidays or trips, I'm like, yeah, la, la, la. I'll just I do whatever we're meant to do. <laughs> <laughs> and you said that retreats are on your radar. Yeah. So, I mean, aside from retreats, like if you had to think of like your wish list for the next five years mm-hmm. is there anything else like exciting and fun that you kind of want to implement yeah 100 percent. I, I don't know how many of these things i should tell you but <laughs> <laughs> give me one spoiler alert books mm, good yes if i tell you how uh, soon they're coming or whatever that i'll spoil it because then i won't be able to meet my own expectations well but the, i think but the, don't you think sometimes that that's also the beauty of something like social media is like when you put something out into the universe and then you have one million people that are following you fun fact you want to know a fun fact i would love a fun fact apparently you're 33.3 percent more likely to stick to something if you tell people about it love it so you guys are now holding me i'm ready holding me to this i um, will personally hold you accountable yeah. <laughs> You will too. I'll be shooting like, you a text message like in like two years. Like, are you doing it? Are you up? Are you doing? Are you doing what you wanted to do? I interviewed someone once who told me that he has a phone call with his mentor every Wednesday at seven a.m. and he only he must call him at seven a.m. If he calls at seven o one, the mentor doesn't answer. <gasps> oh, I like talk that. about accountability, that's right? Like brutal. I'm gonna be that person for you, but I like it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about the terms on that later. But you're a little bit more friendly. Like you would still answer if you'd be like, girl, I'm not keen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not keen. Where were you a minute ago? I and know. Like, I was on the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So wait, tell me what the, tell me what I'm keeping you accountable on. Um, books. I'm going to publish a couple of books. Awesome. One, um, I think the first one's probably going to be a relatable self-help book. I think that's, that's always what I've wanted to channel my history and my story into yeah. um now that i've realized it's it can be so helpful for other people i want to make sure that i can help as many people as possible and i think a book is a good way to do that i also enjoy writing so maybe a book of prose and like poems that i write um a couple of other books but i'm not going to tell you what those are just that's yet. cool and yoga mats i'm hoping to do that soon definitely retreats and then i think eventually i want to do retreat uh, have a retreat space probably in Kauai, Wow, where I can raise my family. We're going to have dogs. We're going to have a permaculture farm. Um, We live sustainably off the land, like waste-free. And, yeah, we do, like, yoga retreats. It'd be a space that we can just come, people can connect and share and grow together, which I think is really cool. Sounds like a pretty cool existence. Yeah, beehives. (laughs) Is there anything specific that you kind of lean into in terms of service that you want to provide people that are coming to you from that angle, from this like I'm struggling situation? Because I think that it can be a little overwhelming if you're someone that's super empathetic and you want to help everyone and it feels so great when you can help, but it's hard when so many people are looking to you for guidance. So are there any themes or things that you kind of resonate on with the people that reach out to you? I think the first thing to recognize or understand is that it's it's 
I'm 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 happy and more than welcome and open to guiding them, but I know that it's not my responsibility to change them. That's that's everyone's personal journey and that's your biggest lesson. Like that's a blessing and it's an honor to be able to learn that for yourself. And so like I know that most people probably wouldn't expect me to be able to provide that for them. Um I'm I more just want to serve as a hug. I guess, like a a physical embodiment of a hug or sunshine. Like I want to inspire and warm and be there like an older sister, um, like a big sister that's just just there, open arms whenever you need it and happy to listen, happy to offer support and guidance where I can. Um, But in saying that, I know that I'm not a a professional of any sort. Um, So if anyone does need professional support, like I'm also helpful, like open to helping them find that person um, yeah. or help them to seek the help that they do need. And certainly, I mean, I can totally relate with that. I think as someone who lost a lot of weight, I have people that reach out to me looking for tips and advice. tricks or yeah. nutritional advice. And I can give you some of the tips and the tricks that I use to lose weight. But at the end of the day, like I'm not a certified nutritionist. I'm yeah. not a registered dietitian. And so, everyone's body's different. And everybody is different. Yeah. So I can be there for you in the capacity that I feel like it's safe for me to be there for you. But I have certainly referred people that have reached out to me yeah. to and other you individuals. You should. Yeah. I think that's like that's a scary kind of issue with social media. Um, like having a lot of followers or something, people assume that you're a reliant source of facts and information. Yeah. Um, and the only facts that we know is what's true to us. It's so true. Okay. So we're winding down here. And the way that we do that here on Hurdle is I want to ask you if you had the opportunity to offer yourself, maybe back when you're between the ages of 16 and 18, you're going through that really tough time. Mm-hmm. Uh, one piece of advice during your hurdle moment, what would you say to yourself today? I think it wouldn't be necessarily words. I think it would be more just offering myself a hug. Like it would just be like, I'm here. You're fine. You're going to be fine. I got you, girl. Um, Yeah, just letting her slash me know that like I'm I'm in the worst Um, and I didn't have to be. The fact that I was doing it to myself. What the life that you have is the life that you can create for yourself. Um, And I was just creating the wrong things yeah awesome i'm so happy we got to do this mm, so my thank I you know. so good please take a moment to leave a quick review by clicking the link with the description to this episode we all face multiple hurdles in life and i want to hear about yours reach out to me by email emily at hurdle.us connect with the podcast on instagram and twitter at hurdle podcast where do they find you give me the details um, at Sienna Elise on Instagram. It's so hard to spell though. So I'm really Spell sorry. it for me. S-J-A-N-A-E-L-I-S-E. Beautiful. Sienna Elise. There you go. Uh, anything else? Anywhere else I should look for you? Um, I've got a website, www.sienna.com.au. Oh. Yeah, well, I'm Australian. (laughs) Fancy. Um, On YouTube as well. And yeah. See you there. I'm also hoping to start a podcast soon. So you'll have to, (laughs) that's the other thing. You'll have to hold me to that one. Oh, goodness. And then you'll have to come on my potty. This is the bit. Did you just say potty? Yeah, my potty. (laughs) Oh my God. What a way to end. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. I am at Emily Abadi. Another hurdle conquered. Catch you guys next time.